Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. I hope you are all having a fantastic week. Firstly, thank you so much for all your amazing messages and feedback on last week's episode with Julia Samuel. If you haven't listened to it, then I highly recommend that you do. This week's episode, I think, is an equally fantastic one. It is with Rebecca Campbell, who is a writer and teacher. She leads workshops internationally and she gives people an experience of their soul. She is also the best-selling author of Light is the New Black and Rise, Sister, Rise. If you haven't read those books, I highly recommend that you do. Particularly Rise, Sister, Rise really spoke to me about how us as women, it's our time to rise up. I think you would really enjoy it. Rebecca is also a new mum to Sunny, who is five months old, and we had a fantastic chat about how she was found becoming a mum. We chatted a bit about her birth and in the body of the conversation we talk about how to find purpose, how to connect with that small whisper within us which she calls our soul. We also talk about anxiety versus trust. We talk about intuition and how we connect to that and also how to feel our feelings. I hope that you really enjoy this episode. I found Rebecca to be such a warm and kind soul. I have seen her speak many times and I've been to a couple of her workshops so it was a real gift to me to be able to chat to her and ask her many of the questions I've wanted to ask her for years. So here is the episode and I hope you really enjoy it. So Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Zoe. It's great to be here. Well, I have been following your work for a really long time. I think I saw your first ever big, big, big talk at Hay House Ignite. Oh, in King's Cross, I in remember King's that. Cross. Was that 2014 or 2013? I, I think it was 14, 2014. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that moment was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if you're the same. But I'd always been freaking out about speaking on stage, but it had always been part of, you know, when you see yourself in the future. (laughs) And that moment, which you witnessed, was such a big moment because it was really about facing the fears. So, wow, how special that you were there. (laughs) Yeah, it was a brilliant day that day. I loved every moment, especially yours. And also, congratulations. How old is Sunny? Oh, he is, I am a new, new mum. He is just like four and a half months. So he's just a a wee babe. And how have you found matrescence? Have you heard that term, the becoming a mother? How have you found the becoming of a mother? I've found it very difficult to put into words and I found it extreme in the most amazing and full-on ways I've kind of felt like nothing that I read could have prepared me for it, to be honest. Yeah. 
I think that's so true, isn't it? And I actually mm-hmm. advise lots of people to not do much reading, actually. I think that the motherhood world's so polar. You tend to get do it this way or that way. And it's very little that's sort of in the truth, which is actually in the middle. It's in the grey, isn't it? Absolutely. So did you have preconceptions of what it would be like? Mm. And is it different than you expected? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I'd always assumed I would become a mother, but it was a decision point to make. Both my husband and I were When we started dating and then got married, both of our non-negotiables were open to having children, but not heart set on it because we hadn't gotten the clear go ahead. So I thought that was interesting. And then literally about a year before Sunny came, it just came in. It's like, now is the time. So I didn't have too many preconceived notions in the sense of like the way I particularly wanted it or anything. I was clear about how I wanted my birth to be. And wow, that is like a whole thing in itself, isn't it? I'm sure you've done many podcasts. Not really, not really. Do you know, I don't often chat about birth Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. So I did a home birth. It was a water birth. It was when I went to the doctors in Glastonbury here where I live. When we got given the options, both my husband and I said it without really thinking about it. And then we did all the research to get to it. We had, like I think a lot of pregnancies, there there were a few complications early on. And so I think our initiations were actually early on in our pregnancy. And so by the time it came to the birth, we'd kind of been through a couple of initiations and had kind of come together as a unit. The birth, my waters didn't break. So I wasn't sure. I was hoping I was in labor. That was for sure. It felt like I was in labor, but I wasn't sure. And yes, Sunny came out in the sack and called. It was very rare. Really rare. Yeah, we hadn't heard about it. Now, our doula and midwives hadn't experienced it either. And so the birth was relatively quick, but it was very, very full on. So, yeah. (laughs) And because I know you're, you know, a huge part of your calling and your work is about connecting to our intuition and our soul. And I'm Mm. wondering, given that depth of work that you've done, and I know how connected you are to source. Did you connect with that energy through the birth? What was that experience like? Or were you so sort of in the physicality of it? I guess I'm asking about the spirituality Mm. that you experienced through the birth. So what I experienced in the birth was something I had never experienced before. I feel like I'd had plenty of, you know, you could call me very woo-woo if you use that term, but I'd had a lot of through various trainings that I'd done and various experiences that I'd had. I'd had a lot of what you would call altered experiences, like the shamans would call it going into a trance-like state. I'd had those experiences through my work, yeah, but I hadn't had an experience like that while also being like fully physically embodied. And I think that is why they call birth one of the greatest initiations out there because there is that invitation to be both not in your body and in your body at the same time. Oh, you're Do you know so what I mean? Right. You're so right. I had both my girls at home. Did you? Um, yeah, and Rose, my second, who's she's 10 weeks now, It was an incredibly intense experience, but you're so right. I felt like I was straddling one sort of foot in pure presence, like so in my body, and another foot was just my head was somewhere else. 
it was just I was visualizing you know waves and it's so interesting isn't it and I too have had lots of those altars experiences in different trainings mm. that I've done and, and experienced nothing like it it's incredible isn't it and it's as you say yeah. it's very hard to put into words yeah it's so interesting and I found it interesting as well for me during my pregnancy I actually found myself being the opposite of how I normally am <laughs> so ah, normally I'd be more. Well, I'd normally be more into the altered experiences. I expected myself to be really curious and inquisitive around the soul that was entering. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was my path, and I'm curious, maybe you've had the same experience. I'm not sure. But my experience of it was actually that for the time I was pregnant, I'd never been more embodied one of the things during my pregnancy that I had was SVP, like the pelvic pain. And so I actually couldn't exercise and, you know, just move to the same speed that I would normally. And it kind of felt like I was just, all I could really do over the summer when I was in the later stages of the pregnancy was lay on the earth. And so I went from like doing like chanting and meditating as my spiritual practice for, you know, for long-ish periods of time to literally laying in my garden on the earth for hours on end. Mm. So, yeah, I found that really interesting. And at first when I noticed a lot of people ask me, gosh, you must have made contact with the soul and, you know, knowing the worlds that I'm in and what I write about. And at first I was wondering, why haven't I been having these altered experiences? But they ended up coming through the pregnancy. So I found that very, very interesting. And I know it was exactly, and it always is, right? I think every single pregnancy is just so personal and so perfect for perhaps the soul that's coming in mm. and, or, wanted, and the mother. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I know a lot of mothers out there experience pregnancy to be a highly anxious time. Right. And I'm interested, given the trust that I know you have in life from studying mm. your work, did you experience those anxieties or were you able to surrender to the experience in the way that you have surrendered other areas of your life? I think both. <laughs> and that would be the exact same answer I'd give with the other areas of my life, to be honest. I think that to get to the state of surrender, often we have to be faced with the questioning of faith and trust. Yeah, early on in the pregnancy, my husband and I, we got a few different tests and got different results and they were a little bit alarming. But when we actually looked into what the test results meant. It was based on age. It was basically based on data rather than us individually. Yeah. And there was a worrying period that we went through and then we realized actually it wasn't even about our personal experience. It was us being put into a bucket within the system. And the system's amazing, but in our specific experience, that was our initiation. And we were really forced to tune back in and deeply trust ourselves that our son chose us and that everything was as it was meant to be. So there were quite a few parts of the pregnancy, especially early on, where that anxiety was totally present. Like I'm very grateful for it now. I definitely wasn't at the time, but 
within probably about like five months into the pregnancy, it was incredible that all of those things happened because it meant that we had to go through this process of turning our gaze deep, deep, deep within from like a physical intuition point of view, as well as, as you say, the greater surrender process. Mm. And you mentioned there, this soul chose us. Mm. And I wondered if you can elaborate on what you mean by that. So it's really based on a belief system that all of us, all of us were babies, all of us were our souls who have experienced more than just this life. So it's based on that belief system. And the idea being that each soul, including us individually, including our children and our children's children, each soul chooses before it is born the conditions that it's born into. And so I believe that's the city, the country, the mother, the father, even if like one of them or both of them are absent even, all of the details around the birth. And I I believe also the actual birth as well. Yeah. So it's this idea that I sometimes talk about is around earth school, that you know that we're here (laughs) to learn something specific and therefore Mm. we're born into the circumstances to help us learn. Absolutely. So I'm I'm interested then, and this Mm. maybe is just expanding the conversation now into more of, you know, how you came to be in this place of the work that you teach today. Why do you think you chose your parents, you had a mum who was very hardworking, didn't you? Who you said, mm-hmm. you know, Rise Sister Rise, you talk about her beautifully, how you saw her giving up her own needs, wants and desires. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and how the parents that you chose has helped you informed where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my parents were pretty much a role reversal in the traditional sense. My mum was a full-on career woman, really creative And my dad, so just watery and he would cry at anything, very emotional, very grounded, school teacher, you know, man of the community. And yeah, I think that I got my work ethic. I got my drive and my creativity from my mom. I got my sensitive nature from my dad as well. And I actually experienced in my early 20s a past life regression where I experienced being regressed. And when I was being regressed, I didn't actually feel like it was working. I'm not sure if you've had a regression before, but I've spoken to a few people who have had a similar experience where it's just like you're kind of like, oh, this isn't working, this isn't working. And then you hear yourself speaking (laughs) and answering the questions, which is what my experience was. And I was taken back, 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 back to being in my mother's womb before I was born. And then even before that, in the periods before incarnating, and I did experience having a choice of three different potential parents' lives to be born into. Wow. Um, That's incredible. I haven't had that experience. I've done rebirthing, but I haven't haven't gone further back than that. Yeah, well, rebirthing is an amazing, amazing modality. What I love about this conversation is so often you hear mothers talking about how guilty they feel for being a single mum or for maybe being on benefits or for maybe Mm. the opposite, you know, having huge financial abundance from working full time. And often I reflect on this, you know, if I believe that Jesse chose me, then I can't really do it wrong. 
because right. my soul chose me in order to to grow in the ways that it has to grow. Do you think in that way too? Can you expand on that? Just how that might give comfort to those mothers? Because we all know that you know the beating ourselves up in motherhood seems to be part and parcel of the job. But oh this, my gosh. this concept seems to really soften that. Absolutely. So I think first of all. I don't know any mum who doesn't have that guilt in some capacity. And I think that this way of thinking is is a way to continually remind yourself that actually the way you are is perfect. And that means the gifts and your strengths as well as the weaknesses, right? <laughs> because it's yeah. actually I say perfectly imperfect. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, my husband and I, when Sunday was born, we got his astrology done, you know, you get your, the rising, etc. But I think it's on astro.com. They do a special specific chart for children. So it's about like encouraging the personality type and the character, etc. And there's this amazing section in it where it says what your child is looking for in their father and in their mother. And in our instance, it was amazing because what it came through was what Sunny is looking for in a father, which is basically constant communication, constantly questioning the way things work, which my husband and I just like cracked up laughing because it's literally what he wishes that I would partake more in with him. And I'm like, oh, come on, do we have to talk about this so much? <laughs> and so it's like he couldn't be a more perfect father for Sonny. And then for me, um, for the mother, it said unfathomable depths and mystery. And so when I might feel like, oh, gosh, I'm not being positive enough or I'm not being this enough and this enough, actually – the way I am is absolutely perfect. And so that's just an example of like, if I'm comparing myself to my friends who are, you know, in all the mother's groups and going and doing school pickup and all of that, I'm not even there yet, but I'm never going to be that mold. And I'm obviously the very beginning of my journey in motherhood, but I'm already finding it. Like, oh yeah, you don't need to be a mum for long <sighs> to let the comparison. Oh my gosh, <laughs> especially running your own business, right? It's yeah. very interesting. I mean, I'm so grateful for the freedom of being able to choose how long I take on maternity and all of that. Like, I really do value the freedom around that. But with that, I can't blame an employee for not giving me enough time or too much time. So my husband and I are, are setting it for ourselves. And I think that when you go to give birth, you can't possibly imagine what it's going to be like. And I wonder if with every new child that you have, it must be different as well. And so for us, we had a few things scheduled in. I took the full fourth trimester off. And then after that, we had lots of things all scheduled in. And so we're feeling into like, do we want to work? Do we not want to work? And I know I do, but it's so easy to beat myself up for not wanting to be like constantly at home with him. So yeah, I don't know any mum who doesn't compare themselves. But yeah, remembering that particularly if you know who you are, you've done that work and then a child enters, they chose that version of you. So I think that is the constant reminder. And I'm definitely reminding myself constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and you talked about trusting yourself 
and mm-hmm. knowing yourself. Something that I found is before I had Jesse, who's my four-year-old, I imagine like you, I was quite good on the daily practices. You know, I'm meditating every day. I was journaling every day. Mm. I felt reconnected to myself. And what I found during those early months, in fact, the first year, is that I sort of let those practices go to the wayside a bit, which was hugely disastrous because Mm. I got really lost in the comparison and stopped trusting myself and really forgot a lot of what I already had learned to unlearn, Mm. you know what I mean? How are you finding that? Are you able to stay connected to yourself Mm. as well as him and the family and work and, and, and? Mm. Yeah, it's definitely been a huge adjustment. There is two things that I've done, which I didn't do right from the beginning. You know, I think for me, the first two and a bit months felt like complete survival mode. (laughs) And so everything went out the window. But first of all, the thing that I've learned to embrace is being in the moment. So for example, I'm choosing to breastfeed. So choosing to fully be there, not feeling like, come on, can you finish already? You know, this has been over an hour. So trying to turn those slow experiences into part of my practice. So through the night breastfeeding, I used to think about things or listen to an audio book or, you know, whatever. But now I actually allow myself to meditate, but not in a way that I was meditating before in a different way. Yeah. So almost like going into that, because I think that it's a deeply intimate experience or it can be. So going into that kind of like time within time and not every time I breastfeed, am I able to do that, but I'm able to reach a different space than I did when I was just meditating. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. The other thing that I've started to embrace, which my husband has as well, is so chanting used to be and always has been probably for the past decade a big part of my practice. Um, It's like I've done teacher training on it and use it in my But since my son was born, I have not sat down to chant in the way that I did before. However, I've been chanting to him. I've actually also created quite a few new chants since I've embraced that, which I think I'll probably end up using. So it's almost like through my chant, I'm singing to the great mother and it's almost like the great mother's singing through me to my son. So that's been a really beautiful new practice that has emerged. And then the other one that I began doing probably after one month, which I had a lot of support with my husband on, which probably helped me actually do it, is going on my morning walks. 
So I live here in Glastonbury, which is a beautiful, beautiful place. We moved here a year ago, but all through my pregnancy, because I had the pelvic pain, I wasn't able to get out and walk, which had been such a big part of my practice. And so I've been five days a week, I go out and do my morning walk, ideally without the baby, if it is possible, but if not with him. So that's been part of my non-negotiable practice. It's so true. And I've had the same experience around just trying to integrate the things that I was doing before alone into my parenting. Mm. I'm trained in um, Kundalini. And interestingly, Rose, who's 10 weeks now, she only settles when I sing Kundalini songs to her. Oh, yeah, it's so oh sweet. congratulations, 10 weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But what's funny is now everyone in our family is singing these songs to her that yes. they, they would never sing. They're like, we don't know what we're singing, and they're singing like Ram Dar and, you know, all the... Yeah, 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 it's beautiful. yeah. And my husband sings it, and my four-year-old sings it, and my mum sings it, and my dad sings it, and my in-laws are singing it, and it's just, oh. it's really beautiful. It's, it makes me laugh. That is um, so amazing. I must I tell s- my teacher, actually, because I think she'd find that really funny that yes. they singing it. I so agree. Yeah, uh, my husband actually began, when Sunny was, like, first born, and, you know, when they're crying and for your first I'm sure everyone's like this they're just like oh my gosh and what do I do yeah and the only way he could get Sonny to stop crying is by giving him a full body om bath and so he'd just be like oh from toe to crown and then back again they love it and they love those they sounds. absolutely yeah. love it and I think also what I'm noticing my husband enjoyed going to a couple of you know different kirtan nights with me but now I'm hearing his voice and there's such resonance I'm like babe you got to do something with this <laughs> but it's, I think that's so interesting I've had that same experience with the grandparents the aunties the friends <laughs> they'll do anything for the baby exactly exactly never did it when I suggested it yeah exactly <laughs> so I wanted to move the conversation on a bit because something that mm. Lots of women and mothers and fathers listening to struggle with is what's my purpose now I'm a parent? And I know Mm -hmm. lots of people want to change what they do, how they show up in the world. And this is something that you are such a brilliant thought leader on, I would say, is what is purpose? How do we Mm -hmm. find it? And have you worked with people who've changed it dramatically since they've become parents? And it would just be really good to get your thoughts on this whole area of listening to our purpose and how we find it. Absolutely. So the first thing to say is that the whole notion of like finding the purpose, it can be, you know, this one answer as in like, you are a writer or you are a teacher or you are a healer or whatever. But often that's not how it comes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I think that's what stops most of us from stepping into it because we're so afraid of getting it wrong. Or even that question is very heavy, isn't it? What it's is huge. my purpose? It's yes. like, whoa, I don't know. Which then says like, oh, what I've been doing has not been my purpose. And then, oh, I have to have this one answer. Here's the thing. I believe that our soul is always calling us every moment of every day. And when I say soul, another way of saying that is your heart, your spirit, and that it's actually about following the little calls every day. And if you do that, little by little, day by day, you will find yourself eventually living your purpose. Yes. A great way of finding your purpose is asking yourself what lights you up 
it's another way of getting into the soul space of getting into the spirit. I believe that our soul, our spirit, our heart is connected to everything in the entire universe. And that when we listen to that part of us, that's when we fall into that harmonious flow. And the other thing to remember as well is that our purpose or how we're being called to spend our time can change over time. So if you're going through a period of your children are young and motherhood or whatever it is that your life situation, it doesn't mean that that's wasted time in the career purpose sense. Nothing is ever wasted. Everything is building up towards everything in the end. The thing I would get people to answer really is what lights you up. The thing that stops people from answering the little daily calls, the baby calls I would call it, is that they're waiting for a full-on step-by-step instruction manual of how to get to that end destination of the purpose. But actually intuition rarely works like that. It speaks to us more in whispers, in little nudges, in feeling kind of like full of joy and fully alive when we're doing things that are in alignment with us. And that's why it takes courage to live a soul-led life and live a purpose-driven life. Mm, And I love how you talk about often it doesn't make any logical sense. Mm -hmm. I love your story. I want to hear it again. You know, I'm sure people know it, but tell (laughs) us a bit about the things that stopped making logical sense to you and how you sort of ended up on the path that you're on today. When I was like a teenager, like 15, 16, I had an awakening. I was from a very normal family. I had like normal friends, normal school life. And then I had some pretty far out experiences, which really opened my mind. I started seeing the work that I'm doing now today, I'm like speaking on stages, working with people, running workshops, writing books. I found You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. She was the creator of Hay House, my publisher. And I could see my path so clearly, but I had no idea how to make it happen. I also felt very weird. The whole spiritual world at that stage, I didn't see anyone who was in their 20s, let alone a teenager, speaking about that stuff. And so I started training in the intuitive arts. I started, because of that, making friends with people who were a lot older than me, like in their 60s, because they were the people who were doing the workshops. And so I felt like I had a bit of a double life. It wasn't like I was being inauthentic in my normal life, but it was just the normal day-to-day stuff about like going to parties and being at school and stuff. It just like, it didn't, it didn't feel right. And I know that anyone who's been through any kind of spiritual awakening, it's quite a common thing to feel. It's like the way that you used to live, it's like it doesn't feel quite right anymore. And so I felt very torn between two lives. I ended up going to university and traveling and did all the normal things that people do. And I ended up going into communications, so advertising. I was a creative director and learned amazing things. Very successful a- one, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a great career and there was so much I loved about that as well. It was like working with photographers and I really worked on my craft as a writer, which has been 
absolutely incredible for the work I do now in working with words. And yeah, moved to London and had all of the big goals that, you know, you're meant to have. And then by the time I kind of got there and got the salary and got the titles and all of that, it was so uncomfortable to keep the facade going, to be honest. On the outside, it looked absolutely great and normal and I seemed really happy. But on the inside, it was just like my soul was just parched. Yeah, it was around my late 20s, early 30s. The life just crumbled around me, as so often happens around Saturn returns, which is I think that's around like 28 years old to 30, which I think is interesting because I think that a lot of women have children at that age. I waited a whole 10 years later, but a lot of my friends also had children there. So I think that's interesting when it comes to it really is a stage in our life where the invitation to surrender even more deeply to who we are does come up from an astrological point of view. So for me, my life got cracked open by losing a couple of really close friends and my 11-year relationship ended. And I was in London away from family and friends. And as only the gift of being cracked open gives you, I felt like I had nothing to lose. And so I finally surrendered to doing the work I do today. I began doing soul readings. I'd been trained in this stuff. (laughs) I'd been secretly on weekends and taking holidays off to train in the intuitive arts and the spiritual world since I was that teenager. And so I was ready to do it. I just hadn't had the courage to go for it. As soon as I began doing that, I began teaching every month and doing sessions and I went from five days a week to three days a week to then taking six months off to write my first book. Yeah, then I got my first book deal and finally fully committed to doing the work I do now. So, yeah. And you talked about your soul feeling, I can't remember the exact Mm. words you used, but feeling out of alignment and I think so many people, even if they don't use Mm. that word soul, feel right today feel like what I'm doing you know whether they're just working in a job or even being a Mm. full-time mum and just not feeling it or maybe being Mm. in a full-time job you know whichever everyone is so different aren't they and yeah what's the first step if someone's listening and they think oh it's okay for you to because you're living these lives where you know you feel Mm. aligned if someone feels very misaligned what can we start doing without having as you say to wait for everything to crumble as it did for you and it did for me too. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So there's a couple of things and they're all really simple, but the thing I would invite anyone listening to do is to do them with rhythm. So select one of them and then keep showing up to it. Yeah. So one of them is spending time in nature, ideally on your own. I think so often we're disconnected in our lives from our phones to job to transport to all of that. So just spending, even if it's like five minutes a day in nature on your own breathing is a great way to do it. I call it spending time with your soul. As you say, you don't have to call it soul, but we want to bring yourself back to your center. And so you can just breathe into the center of your heart, for example, but doing it every day. The next thing I would recommend as an option as well is some form of journaling. So you're wanting to develop a relationship with your inner self because that inner part of you 
is your intuition. This inner part of you actually is wiser than we could possibly imagine. This inner authority is constantly guiding us. But what happens is it's so easy and no one's really taught this unless you've had a mum who understands this stuff. But I know I wasn't taught how to differentiate between my real inner voice and the voice of my mind, the critic and all of that. And so developing a relationship with that inner knowing part of you is absolutely priceless. So again, you can do that by journaling just for a little bit of time each day. It could be five minutes again, 10 minutes even, where you're just letting what is running around your mind fill the page and then waiting for the deeper part of you, that all-knowing voice to come through. And for many of us, as we're journaling, the bulk of the writing might be that inner critic or the one that feels guilty or whatever it is. But if we let that voice fill the page, eventually that deeper part of us will come through. Yeah. Sometimes when I look back on my journals, I can't believe some of the wisdom on the pages. I'm like, I didn't write that, but obviously I did. But it's coming from, as you say, it's coming from a different part of me, an untouched part of me is how Mm. I like to think of it, untouched by all all the limiting beliefs and the experiences, just that pure wisdom. And I can connect to that and ask it anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And as you say, if I can keep writing, keep writing and develop that relationship with it, it makes life... You know, I think it's so easy to become utterly overwhelmed as a modern mother, you know, Mm, and absolutely, it's really helped me to stay grounded and yeah, just feel an ease and a calm. You talked about, you said, unless you had a mother that taught you this stuff and that just pinged a thought in my mind, you know, you and I have similar ish stories where we both went off and had successful careers and then sort of that Mm. broke down to to set us on a new path. And I hear that time and time and time and time again, and Mm. I see it with so many friends. And I'm wondering what as parents and mothers can we do if anything, or maybe we don't need to Mm. do anything so that our children are able to be their authentic selves from the get go. So I think creating a space where it's safe to have feelings and to express feelings. So often we don't feel safe to share how we really, really feel. And so we push it down in our body. That seems to be such a common thing. Yes, it's Um, huge. Yes. Being able to voice what is going on within you is such an amazing skill. Oh my gosh, I'm still developing that for same, sure. Same. Because I was inadvertently shamed through no fault of my own, right. my mum. But if I would express a sad feeling, she would just distract me. Oh, let's go over here or don't be sad or try and jolly me up, which right. was so well-meaning. But ultimately what that meant is that I disconnected from myself. Totally. And that sad feeling or whatever feeling, anger feeling, if you let yourself have the anger that turns into passion. The guilt can turn into innocence if we allow ourselves to move through it. Yeah. I think also just voicing feelings, voicing whatever is going on. So for example, like an exercise that I do often in my workshops, which I'm intending to do with my son when he can actually talk, is naming a feeling. And it may be through saying, I might not know what the feeling is, but 
my stomach feels all tingly. Okay. Breathing into that. What's the emotion in the, like, where is it? Okay. It's the top of my stomach. Oh, it feels like butterflies and it's like uncomfortable and, oh, and then you breathe into it. And when you allow the butterflies in the stomach to be there, it will move and transform into something else. And it may end up being like, oh, actually I'm feeling like this because this happened. When this person said this to me, I felt like this. And then you voice it and then it goes. Emotions are feelings in motion. If we allow them to move like water, they will pass and then they'll transform into something else. Whereas if we don't voice them, they get stored in the body. And then I think also, and this is like a, you could do it like a game really, where it's like my mind is saying X, my body is feeling X my emotions are X. And so kind of like differentiating between the different parts of us is a really great one. I love that. that. I'm going to do that with (laughs) Jessie. She's four and a half. She's starting to get this stuff now. That's amazing. Well, she'll be like so tapped into it. Yeah. It's Um, incredible. Do you know what I love as well? I love asking her. My husband says I've got to stop it, but I ask her all the time. I'm like, do you remember being in mummy's tummy? What was it like? Sometimes she'll say, yeah, it was really wet. I'm like, oh Oh, my God, she remembers. That's amazing. Yeah, so apparently between three and a half and four and a half, and you ask them in the bath, because that connects them to that feeling of being in the Uh, womb. And yeah, she tells me about it. That is incredible. You're going to love that. Oh my gosh, I'm going to love that. Well, even last night in the bath, I had a new song that we created, <laughs> which was, um, I've got a good friend of mine, Binny Dansby, who has done amazing stuff with rebirthing. And yeah, she really helped me a lot in preparing in my birth. But she says to thank your child for coming to love you, because, you know, like they're so besotted with us like I'm at the stage with my son he just looks at me like I am the goddess (laughs) you know what I mean he can't take his eyes off me so we created this song last night in the bath where it was like thank you for coming to earth to love me (laughs) and then I say the same to him I think just that acknowledgement I think seeing the part of them that is a model just like the same thing goes when you see it in another person when you properly see the light behind someone's eyes rather than just the face the glaze the body and just kind of like glaze over when you properly properly look into someone's eyes and fully witness them that is the biggest healing thing that you could possibly the biggest gift that you could give anyone and that's absolutely something that we do in my workshops over and over again just like properly seeing the person in front of you and I think that brings us back to the innocence which we all have like that innocent little child that came here and we are all that and I think that is one of the greatest healing things that I've noticed so far of being a mum, just like fully seeing that and witnessing people, like you say, the aunties and the grandparents chanting, like doing these things for a baby and cooing over the baby. And it's because they have that innocence, you know, their hearts are so open. And so if you actually see that 
in them, just like if you see that in an adult, the walls just come crumbling down. Mm, that's so mm. true. And it's one of my favorite parenting teachers is Dr. Shafali Safari, who wrote the oh, yeah. there. And she says this, she says, you know, we've got it all the wrong way around. They come here to teach us, to help yes. us unlearn, you know, all the conditions that we've placed on that pure love unconditional love joy Mm. acceptance presence that children just embody naturally it's us adults that have lost our way I I so agree with that so try and remember that when I'm going through a tricky day with Jessie I'm like she's here to teach me she's here to teach me (laughs) Um, and I always ask I always ask the same question at the end Mm. and I cannot wait to hear your answer which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world what would that gift be and why it would be to deeply, deeply, deeply trust the mama bear intuition that is within you, not to look outside of you, even if it's someone who's meant to supposedly know better. No one knows better than you when you tune into that part of you that deeply knows, that ancient part of you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. There's so many things I want to say about that, but we will save that for next time. <laughs> I want to do this again when Sunny's, you know, in the toddler years. Oh, yeah, when I'm not such a fresh off the boat mum. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, just to hear more about your experience. Yeah. I've, I've loved it. It's been such a nourishing chat for me. Thank you so I much. I feel the same, Zoe. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.